reading from God's Word, Mark chapter 9, verses 33 through 35. Who was the greatest? Then they came to Capernaum, and when he was in the house, he asked them, What were you arguing about on the way? But they were silent. For on the way, they were arguing with one another who was the greatest. He sat down, called the twelve, and said to them, Whoever wants to be first must be last of all and servant of all. Then he took a little child and put it among them, and taking it in his arms, he said, Whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me. Whoever welcomes me welcomes not me, but the one who sent me. The word of God for the people of God. So every summer, I go up north and help to lead a camp for elementary schoolers at a place called Lake Louise. I've been doing this kind of ministry for more than half a lifetime now. Some of the best ministry I've ever done has happened up north in the woods by the lake. Every time I drive up north for a week of camp, there are three things that I'm hoping to accomplish. I've always got three goals for the time that we spend together at camp. The first goal that I have is that those campers at some point during the week will realize that they're in a place where they are safe and they're surrounded by people who love them and care about them. We never know what's happened in the lives of those campers before they get dropped off at camp. Some of those campers are coming from a place of trauma. These days we know that all of the campers who get sent to us for a week of camp have lived through a global pandemic. They've all been through something scary and painful. And for some of those campers, the best that we can hope for, for some of those campers, the, the best that we can do is to make sure that at some point during the week they realize they're in a place where it's safe enough to let their guard down and take a deep breath and begin to experience a little bit of rest and peace and healing. When that happens, that's been a really good week of camp. Well, the second goal that we have for our week at camp is that at some point during the week, one of those, some of those campers will have an experience of the presence and the love of God. And we hope that as they unplug from devices and screens and headphones, as they unplug from bullying and broken homes, that they will begin to begin to hear that still, small voice of God, that they will have some experience of the presence of the power of God's Holy Spirit. When that happens, that's been a really great week at camp, when the campers have an opportunity to experience the presence and the love of God. The third thing, the third goal that we have for our week at camp, the thing that lets us know that it has been a truly exceptional week at camp, the greatest miracle we can work during our time together at camp is that by the end of the week, some of those campers will have begun to learn some basic table manners. Every year, the first night of camp, it's the exact same story. The campers get dropped off, they move into their cabins, they start to make friends, and then about halfway through that first evening, we ring the dinner bell for the very first time, and every year, the exact same thing happens. All of a sudden, all of those sweet and adorable campers turn into a horde of bloodthirsty gremlins, and, and they are all bared fangs and flying elbows as they push and shove and jockey to see who can get to the front of the 
line. And my goal, my highest goal for a week at camp is that by the end of the week, some of those campers who were bared fangs and flying elbows on the first night will begin to slow down a little bit, that they will begin to hold back, that they will begin to hold the door, that they will say to one another, you know what, it's okay, you go ahead, you go first. At camp, we work to tame that thing that lives in the human heart, that thing that says, I want to be first, that thing that is always saying, me, me, me. If we can do that for some of our campers by the end of a week of camp, then we know that there is a chance that just maybe some of those campers will grow. Maybe some of those campers will grow up to live the kind of life that Maximilian Kolbe lived. Now, Max was born in Poland in 1894. His parents were devout Catholics, and Max himself was a devout young man. In fact, at the age of 12, he had a, a religious vision. He had this vision in which Mary, the mother of Jesus, appeared to him. And in each of her hands, Mary was holding a crown. One of those crowns was white, and the other was red. And in this vision, Mary asked young Max a question. She said, Max, will you accept one of these crowns? She said, if you accept the white crown, you will live a life of purity. If you accept the red crown, you will die as a martyr to the faith. Will you choose? Will you accept either one of those crowns? And at 12 years old, young Max said to Mary, the mother of Jesus, I will take them both. A few years later, Max entered the seminary. He became a Franciscan friar. Max became Father Max. And it was clear from the beginning that Father Max had more energy than he knew what to do with. It took him a while to find his true calling. For a while, he taught in a seminary. And then when he got too restless to keep on doing that, he started traveling the world. Max founded, he started monasteries in Japan and in India. But Max really hit his stride. He really found his calling when he started publishing a sort of a monthly devotional booklet. Well, that booklet caught on, and pretty soon Max was overseeing a major religious publishing operation. He was directing, overseeing an entire monastery of monks and brothers who were devoted to publishing devotional booklets and newspapers and spiritual reading and journals of all sorts. It was a major operation, but Max wasn't content just to be a publisher. He started a religious radio station. It turns out that Max's greatest gift was the gift of mass media communication. And he was getting to be a, a recognized media figure there in Poland. He was really making a name and a reputation for himself. But then, well, you can probably guess what happened next. Then came the Nazi invasion of Poland. And as the German tanks were rolling across the border on into Poland, Max had to make a difficult decision. What he decided to do was to send all of the other brothers in the monastery away. He sent them out of harm's way. He sent them to safety. But Max stayed at the monastery, and he opened up the monastery and turned it into a sort of hospital, and he took in people who were fleeing from the German invasion. Well, when the Nazis arrived, they arrested Max. Well, they didn't hold on to him very long. They let him go soon enough, and they gave him strict orders. They said, now, don't you dare misbehave. Don't you dare cause any trouble for the Nazis. And so, of course, as soon as they let him go, Max started looking for ways in which he could misbehave and cause trouble for the Nazis. And it turns out he was pretty good at it. He found all sorts of ways to, to cause trouble for the Nazis. He fired up his printing press again, and he started publishing an anti-Nazi newspaper. 
And he continued to open up the monastery and take in refugees. Max sheltered 2,000 Jewish refugees, kept them hidden, kept them safe from Nazi patrols, helped them find their way to safety. When the Nazis caught on to what was going on, they arrested Max again. And this time they didn't let him go. This time they sent him to the concentration camp at Auschwitz. And at Auschwitz, at the concentration camp, Max was soon one of the most recognizable figures there at the camp because he continued his work as a priest, even in that desperate place. He continued to lead people in worship. He continued to hear confessions. He continued to comfort people and to pray with them, even when it meant extra attention from the guards, even when it meant extra beatings. Max kept on doing the work that God had called him to do. Later on, one of the things that people most remembered about Max was the way that he would hold back at mealtimes. Whenever food was served, Max would stand back and he would let the other prisoners go through the line ahead of him. And sometimes that meant that Max didn't get any food at all. And even when he did get food, if he saw somebody who was in worse shape than he was, Max was quick to share what food he had. He was willing to break bread with anybody. And if that were all that Max had done, if those were all the stories that we had to tell about Max, that would be enough for him to be worth remembering. That would be enough for us to say he was truly an exceptional follower of Jesus Christ. But of course, the story that's most often told and the reason that Max is remembered to this day is the story of the way in which he died. One day a prisoner escaped from the camp. The commander of the camp was furious. He called all the rest of the prisoners together and he shouted at them for a while. And then he said, there will be no more escapes. He said, for every prisoner who escapes, ten more prisoners will be put to death. And then just to prove his point, he had the guards select ten prisoners at random from out of the crowd. As the guards were dragging those ten prisoners away, one of the men, a, a Polish man named Franciszek, cried out in desperation. He cried out, my wife, my children. And then something happened that nobody expected. Father Max stepped forward. He spoke up. He said, take me instead. He said, I want to die in that man's place. The guards stopped what they were doing. They turned to look to the commander to see what he would say. The commander thought for a moment and then he nodded his head. And so the guards let Franciszek go and they grabbed Father Max and they dragged him away with the other prisoners. They put those ten prisoners in a starvation cell. They locked the door. Every so often the guards would look in the window to see how the prisoners were doing. Every time they checked on the prisoners, they would find Father Max standing or kneeling in the middle of the room, leading the other prisoners in prayer or in song. Day after day he led them in prayer and in song and in worship in that starvation cell. After two weeks with no food and no water, six of the prisoners had died, but Father Max was still going. And finally, the guards decided to put an end to it. They decided to kill Father Max by lethal injection. When he was dead, they took his body to the incinerator. If these were all the stories that we had to tell, it would be enough for us to say he was a remarkable follower of Jesus. Today, Father Max is known as Saint, Saint Maximilian Kolbe, recognized as a saint by much of the Christian faith. We have these stories we've been telling for these last several weeks, these stories of followers of Jesus, people 
who walked in the way of Christ, people who set an example, people who blazed a trail, people who pioneered the way of Jesus for us. We remember their lives. We remember their deaths. We remember the example that they gave for us. In this morning's gospel reading, we have the story of Jesus and his disciples. When I hear the stories of Father Max, the thing that strikes me the most is the way in which over and over again he put others ahead of himself. When he made that decision to send the brothers away, but he himself stayed in harm's way. At the camp, when he held back and let people go through the line ahead of him, when he made the decision to give his own life that another man might live over and over again. Father Max was living out the thing that we try to teach campers up at Lake Louise. He was living out the thing that Jesus is trying to teach his disciples in today's gospel reading. As we pick up the story of Jesus and the disciples today, the disciples have already been with Jesus for quite some time. They've been following Jesus for months, maybe even following Jesus for years, and they have heard the sermons of Jesus. They have seen the wonders that Jesus worked. They have sat at the table with Jesus. Jesus, even at this point in the story, has revealed to them who he is. He has revealed to them that he is the Messiah sent by God to heal and save this wounded world. The disciples have been following Jesus for a long time now, and so they really ought to know better. But as we pick up the story today, Jesus is walking down the road with the disciples. The disciples are trailing just a few steps behind him, and as they're walking along that road, the disciples are raising their voices, and they're arguing about something. They're butting heads with one another as they make their way down the road. Jesus can hear them, but he doesn't stop them. He waits He waits until later that evening. When they reach their destination, Jesus waits until all of the disciples have had a chance to settle a bit. He waits until they've had a chance to take off their sandals and to wash and rub their aching feet. He waits until the disciples have had a chance to take a deep breath and relax after a long day of ministry. And then when there's a moment of silence, Jesus speaks up and he asks the disciples a question. He says, what were you arguing about? As we were walking along the road today, none of the disciples answer. None of the disciples look Jesus in the eye because they are too embarrassed to admit what they have been talking about. They're too embarrassed to admit to Jesus that what they had been arguing about was which among them was the greatest disciple. They had been arguing about which among them was going to be first in the kingdom of heaven. They had been arguing about which was going to sit at the right hand of Jesus when he came into his glory. The disciples were too embarrassed to tell Jesus the truth, and so they didn't say anything at all. It didn't matter. Jesus knew. And so he gathered all the disciples together. I like to picture him gathering the disciples to sit like children at his feet in that moment. He gathered them all together and then he leaned into them and he told them again the thing that he had told them in so many ways, so many times before. Jesus said, listen, he said, I want you to understand this. Whoever wants to be first must be last of all and servant of all. In a single sentence, Jesus summed up for the disciples the entirety of his teaching, the entirety of his preaching, the entirety of his ministry. In a single breath, Jesus gave the disciples the heart of the Christian faith. In a single breath, Jesus told the disciples the way to live, the way to die, the way to live again. If only they had ears to hear it. Franciszek lived another five and a half years in Nazi concentration camps. 
He lived long enough to see the end of the war. He lived long enough to be liberated and reunited with his wife. He lived another 53 years. Francis Czech lived to the age of 93 years old. He didn't die until 1995. And for the rest of his life, he was a man on a mission. This man, Francis Czech, he traveled the world, and everywhere he went, he told the story of the man who had given his life that he might live. He told the story of this man who was last of all and servant of all. He told the story over and over again until his dying day of the man who taught the world how to live and how to die and how to live again. And it's there for us if we have the ears to hear. Let's pray. God, we pray that you would give us ears to hear the words of Jesus, eyes to see the example of Jesus, courage to follow in the footsteps of Jesus. Let there be no more thoughts among us of greatness. Tame within us that voice that says, me, me, me. Make us lingerers at the back of the line and holders of doors that your grace might fill our hearts, that your grace might heal this world. In Jesus we pray. Amen.